0: Welcome, everyone, to another brand new episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. And this time, I'm going to keep my rambling short because we have a a little bit of a time constraint and this guest needs no introduction. So let's get straight into it. Overcoming saber toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now, here's your host, Raghav Sharma. Sharma like i was saying this guest needs no introduction formerly he has a bachelor's in health and behavioral science with a focus on strength and conditioning but more importantly his street card how i found out about him was he was actually gary v's personal trainer i don't know how many of you uh, follow gary v huge huge personality this is how i actually found out about him but since then um i've been following all of his content he's the owner of sciat fitness probably helped thousands if not more with a bunch of non BS health information. He has phenomenal social media content with over a million followers across all his platforms. Welcome to the show, Jordan Syatt. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And the first thing, I know I gave like a brief intro, but I was like asking what the motivations are behind these things. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you do what you do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got into fitness from wrestling. I started wrestling when I was like eight years old. My mom, I'm short. I'm wicked short. I'm five foot four. And, uh, I'm in a short family. So my mom wanted my brother and I to be able to defend ourselves. So I remember she walked in the living room and I was lying on the couch and she was like, all right, I, I want you guys to be able to defend yourself. So I'm going to put you into wrestling. And at eight years old, the only wrestling that I knew was WWF style wrestling. So, <laughs> so I remember I looked at her and I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she's like, no, you idiot, like Olympic <laughs> style wrestling. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't know what it was, but I, I was put into it and I got obsessed with it. I just absolutely loved it. Uh, it was all I thought about, all I cared about. And um, and then basically, like, I made varsity as a freshman in high school and I had to cut a lot of weight. So I was cutting from about 115 pounds, 112, 115 pounds to 103 pounds every single week. And I was good from a technique perspective and I was good from an endurance perspective because I've already been wrestling for so long. But my strength, I was 14 years old going up against mostly 17, 18-year-olds. So my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So I uh, I reached out to a gym a couple towns over from me outside Boston, Massachusetts in a, in a town called Newton. And uh, there was a kettlebell gym there. And I basically was like, I'll, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Just let me come and, and learn from you and, and I'll work for free. And I was very lucky because number one, they let me do that. Number two is they were a very science-based gym. Like very, very focused on the research and the, and the scientific literature. And so from 14 years old, I was thrust into the science-based fitness community. And that's what I've done ever since.
0: That's absolutely incredible. And I think you could probably defend yourselves by slamming people with chairs too. I think that'd be a valid yeah, strategy. I
1: think that is, that is a especially good bar fight strategy. So <laughs>
0: Hopefully not too many bar fights, but um, I love people. I love hearing people's uh, origin stories. And one of the questions that we ask everyone, it sounds like you've been around evidence-based kind of practice of strength and conditioning, all this for a while. Um, so you have probably already familiar somewhat with the term preventive medicine, what it entails, but what does that definition mean to you? So I'm probably going to give a very stupid definition.
1: I apologize if you're just like, wow, that guy is an idiot. But uh, I would imagine preventative medicine is is something to the effect of you want to get people to a point in which they are healthy enough where they they can prevent these diseases or these illnesses as long as possible. I mean, I think I would imagine that given age and time, we are eventually going to succumb to something. So it's not like you can inherently stop it no matter what, but maybe prevent it for as long as you can to keep the highest quality of life possible for as long as possible.
0: I love that you mentioned that something will happen at one point or another, because that is a reality. And that's yeah. something we kind of harp on in every single episode, because Um, when you say prevention, sometimes people think, Oh, absolute, nothing can happen. We're going to be immortal. And it's just preventing things from happening, trying to maximize your quality of life as you were saying. So love that answer. It's not stupid. That's something I've
1: been thinking a lot about with cancer specifically. You know, I do as much as I can for my own health and heart health and and bone health and, and mental health for everything. And I don't know anything about the science of cancer, but what I've been looking into, it just seems like. It, it just picks and chooses people for almost seemingly like almost no reason. I'm sure there are some commonalities based on the cancers, mm-hmm. but you could be the healthiest person in the world and you could get cancer. Right. And exactly like 15, you could be a baby and you could get cancer, you know? So it's like, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I've had this mental shift on recently where it's like, it could very much happen at any day, any time. So just do your best to prevent it, but you can't necessarily stop everything.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, but we had uh, Dr. Mark Lewis on who's an oncologist who actually had cancer himself a very rare type of cancer. Um, and we talked about it with him quite a bit. And his main things were like, know your family history. That's kind of the mm. biggest thing when it comes to cancer. And then outside of that, do what you can and maximize your lifestyle factors. But outside of that, like you're saying, sometimes it just takes and chooses. And even if you don't smoke, you might get lung cancer. There's things like that. So yeah, if you have time, check out that episode, I think it'd be a great one. I'd love to. I will definitely listen to that. It's my turn to ask a stupid question, and this is the one that every trainer gets, and I've, I've coached people as well. Um, I'm currently, I'm a CSCS training people at my local powerlifting gym, nice. but every trainer gets this question, and that is, can you lose weight and build muscle at the same time?
1: You know, it's a, it's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that because if you had asked me five years ago, I would have given you a different answer, a- and I would have said, no, you cannot. And, and the reason for that would have been because I would have been looking at it too, from a too much of a reductionist perspective in that, well, in order to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit. And in order to build muscle, you have to be in a calorie surplus. And now we also know with new and emerging research, you can build muscle without being in a calorie surplus, although negligible. It's, it's not usually not that much unless you're a, a brand new beginner. But it, now I'll say, yes, you absolutely can. You can build muscle and lose weight at the same time. And one of the most important factors of this is no one is expecting to go to the gym one day and both lose fat and build muscle in that day. I mean, you know, sometimes, maybe some people are, they go to the gym one day (laughs) and then they pull their shirt up and they're like, why don't I have a six pack yet, right? It's like, that's not how it works. (laughs) But um, any type of progress happens over a, a sustained period of time. And usually, especially in the gym and nutrition, three, six, 10, 12 months, right? At least. And I would say if you're not both losing fat and building muscle over the course of a year, you're doing something wrong. Uh, Hmm. And the way I look at it is – I prefer to have phases. I prefer to have fat loss phases and muscle building phases. That's what I generally prefer, especially for beginners and intermediates for maybe for more advanced trainees. If they, if they want to do more of what's called a body recomposition where you slowly lose fat and build muscle at the same time. I think that's a a good option for someone who's very in touch with their calorie intake and their training, but for beginners and intermediates, I think they get better results, especially mentally when they can see progress happening more quickly, which is why I like the cutting phases and bulking phases. So over the course of a year, you could cut for three months, then you could bulk for three months, then cut for three months, then bulk for three months, and you repeat that cycle. And by the end of the year, you've lost a significant amount of body fat and gained a tremendous amount of muscle. And so, yeah, well, in one day, you didn't lose fat and build muscle. But over the course of that year and over the course of those training and nutrition plans, you definitely did. So that's why my answer has changed over the years to yes, you can.
0: I like that answer because, um, I like how you say that you're not doing it on one day and no one expects results in one day. Like you're saying, I mean, some people might, but, <laughs> yeah. um, over the course of a year, doing them at the same time makes a lot of sense because when we look at any sort of fitness adaptation or regardless of fitness, whatever type of adaptation you're trying to make, it does take a while. Um, and the amount of that depends on kind of the person, but if you can fit those both in within 12 month period, then yeah, technically at the same time you're doing both. So I like that answer.
1: Yeah. I mean the rate of muscle growth, man, as you know, it's depressingly slow. Unless you're on anabolic steroids. And even then, like it can still be depressingly slow. And it, like it's slow for men and it's even about half of that for women. So assuming you're not using anabolic steroids, it's it's outrageously, outrageously slow. So for someone to think like within a month they're gonna gain a lot of muscle, good luck. If you find that perfect training training strategy and nutrition protocol, like let me know because to date, you can't build that much in a month.
0: Yeah. And if you do, then you can start running some Instagram ads and be like, this one secret trick will gain you this crazy (laughs) amount of muscle in one month. And you can become famous off that, right? That's right. Um, We talked about kind of goal setting there, that you shouldn't set the expectation of becoming shredded um, within one day, maybe even one month. Uh, Obviously not one, but maybe a year you can see some sort of good progress. Um, So when it comes to setting uh, the goal of getting healthy, What do you think kind of a good goal setting practice looks like when that might be someone's general goal? Just for getting healthy, getting healthy.
1: Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. I like that goal, but I also don't like that goal only because if we're looking at when people are successful with setting goals, there has to be some specificity to it. Right. And when I'll look at new year's resolutions. One of the biggest reasons so many people fail with their new year's resolutions. And there are many reasons, but one of them is because they say things like, well, I just, I just want to get healthy. I just, I just want to lose weight. And it's like, it's not <laughs> specific enough. Like what aspects of your health do you want to improve? And then when I break down goals, I look at it from, from two different perspectives. We have your outcome focus goal, which is what you actually want to achieve, which we could say health would be an outcome focus goal, but even it's not very specific. And then also, uh, your objective focus goal, like what exactly, um, or I'm sorry. So you have your objective, which is what you want to achieve. And then you have your action, which is what you're going to do to actually achieve that objective. So you have your objective goals and your action goals. So let's say health is the objective. Well, we could break it down. Is it, is it improving your blood pressure? Is it uh, improve, improving improving um, improving your your mile time? Is it uh, getting ten thousand steps a day? Like what aspect of health do you, do you want to improve your your relationship with food? Maybe you're struggling with binge eating. So, because every everyone is an individual and everyone is struggling with something different, I would encourage anyone listening to. Think about what aspect of health do you want to improve and, and become very specific with that. And then from there, we can start attacking the actions, which are basically, when you think about it, just a daily to-do list of what you're going to do to achieve that goal. So, I mean, if I have someone who's struggling with their cardiovascular health, maybe their blood pressure is getting up, maybe they're getting a little bit of weight, they're on their pre-diabetic, whatever it is okay, I'm going to make sure you're going to be you're be focusing on your steps every day. And I'm not going to take them from completely completely sedentary, like 500 steps a day to 10,000. But I'll say let's make a goal of getting at least 1500 to 2000 steps a day for this first month and the next month will increase it whatever it is. So uh, for someone who's struggling with binge eating, I'll look at you know, why they're struggling with binge eating the what's actually going on mentally, you know, and they're like, Okay, I want to improve my relationship with food. And maybe for example, they're, uh, they're meticulously counting their calories. I'll try and pull them away from calorie counting and more towards a a more approach that has less meticulousness to it that so that they can be less restricted which will probably help them with their relationship with food. So it's all dependent on the individual and I know that's not necessarily what you asked but health as you know is it's so all-encompassing I wanted to break it down a little bit further.
0: No, that's perfect. I think the, the approach of breaking down kind of what those goals are instead of just big lofty health is very important and very significant to helping people kind of figure out what they actually want to do versus just kind of having this nebulous term of, oh, I want to get healthy. Yeah, congrats. Exactly. You're, you're healthier. But what does that mean? Yeah, it's different for every person. I want to ask a follow up question on that. Uh, A lot of times people set very ambitious or like lofty goals and then they're just not able to meet them and they quote unquote fall off the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. How do you help people set? I think you do a phenomenal job of this based on following all your content. How do you help people set um, more appropriate goals for themselves? Yeah. So that's
1: actually the other major reason people fail with their New Year's resolutions is they they have these goals that are completely and utterly unrealistic. And the vast majority of the reason why they do that is because they don't know. Like they don't know what realistic is very often. So, for example, someone will say something like, "All right, for New Year's resolutions, I want to work out seven days a week, and I'm going to only eat good foods." And and then they'll say something like, "I want to lose 50 pounds by May." And I'm like, "Well, that's fucking stupid. That's a, a terrible idea." Number, like, do you actually think you're going to be able to sustain working out seven days a week? Never mind, sustain. Do you actually even think that's healthy? Like, should you be working out hard every mm-hmm. single day? No, you absolutely should not. Um, is it realistic for you to never eat a quote unquote bad food? No, it's a really bad idea. It's a stupid idea because when you go to a birthday party, when you go to a social event, as soon as you have something that you, for whatever reason, deem bad, you're going to think you failed. And then when you think you fail, you think, well, why bother? Exactly. I'm going to quit. Uh, if you say I'm going to lose 50 pounds in the next four months, well, do you number one, understand what is a good rate of progress? and if you if you don't understand that, then why'd you just choose fifty? You just pick that number out of thin air. It's like if you for if if you're looking at a realistic rate of weight loss over time that's actually very healthy, depending on the body fat and the extremes are different. but generally about a, a half a pound to two pounds a week is a good range to fall under and so if if you're losing way more than that, which it would be for 50 pounds in that time frame. It's like you just set yourself up for failure because once you get a month in and you realize you've only, and put that in air quotes, you've only lost four pounds, you're going to feel like a failure when in reality, you've done an amazing job. You've lost four yeah. pounds that yep. month, yep. but you're disappointed because you, you're you not reaching the arbitrary goal of 50 that you came up with. So it's it's about setting realistic expectations. And if you don't know what realistic looks like, then talk with a professional about what's a realistic rate of progress.
0: Sure. I, I absolutely love that answer. And I'm going to ask another follow-up question. I'm going to keep asking questions on it. goal setting because I think yeah. it is the most important thing when it comes to behavior change. Because mm. once you're able to appropriately tackle one small goal, let's say, I'm a huge believer of the domino effect, mm. where you hit a small goal, you go into another small goal, you just keep hitting a series of these small goals. Next thing you know, you've done a monumental achievement of whatever it may be for you. So I'm going to keep asking questions on you. I apologize in advance. I love it. When people set these small goals, let's say someone sets a goal of, I want to eat a couple extra servings of vegetables every day Mm -hmm. as like a general health goal. Now the question becomes, what vegetables do I eat? Because Mm -hmm. you have these people on Instagram that are saying, oh, kale is terrible for you. You shouldn't eat any leafy greens because they'll cause (laughs) heart problems. How do you reduce the overcomplication of these things and kind of protect quote unquote people from all this misinformation or uh, misguided um, advice? That's a phenomenal question. And that's a lot of what I try and do with my
1: content. Um, I don't just try and tell people what's right or wrong. I try and give them the tools to figure that out on their own. And so for me, it really boils down to helping people just pay attention to common sense. And so one of the tools that I've come up with that people have found funny, but also works well is let's say someone said, using your example, the kale is bad for you. I want you to take exactly that. Someone says, kale is bad for you. Kale is going to cause heart problems. I just want you to say out loud, what they said, and say it very slowly, and tell me if that sounds <laughs> stupid to you. And when you, we're going to take exactly the the kale example. Don't eat kale because <laughs> kale is bad for you. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Of course, <laughs> kale isn't bad for you. It's the same thing when people are like don't eat fruit, fruit, yeah. sure that. I'm like, so you're saying fruit is making me fat like are you yeah because blueberries are causing the obesity epidemic someone's like oh yeah it was really the raspberries (laughs) that caused me to put on those last 50 pounds it's like get out of here asshole Uh, it's it's one of those things where i uh, it's easier said than done to use common sense but that's one of those things where when you say it out loud and you repeat it very slowly it's like that's just one of the dumbest things i've ever heard so it Obvious, it's, it's also, and this might be a different audience than what I'm used to, I generally work with more general population. I would imagine that Preventative Medicine podcast has people who understand research and understand how to go into PubMed and look, dive into the research. But even then, people will often just read the abstracts or they'll already have their preconceived biases and they'll just seek out the research that already supports whatever they believe. And so even people who are very well-versed in science understand that. You can always find a research, a, a study Promoting what you want it to say, right? So it I think it's really health comes down to common sense for the vast majority of it. It really, really does. Making sure you're moving, making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're eating higher quality foods. If someone is telling you the key to health is to put butter in your coffee, don't fucking listen to that person. It's like there is there it's just the common sense is the easiest way to keep this in mind. Uh, minimize highly processed foods, but don't demonize highly processed foods. Like have, having things in moderation. It's really, it's the best way to go about it
0: we want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is not intended for medical advice and is for educational and informational purposes only we also want to remind you of our instagram page at prevent pod where we share various content relating to each episode that you can share with your friends if you enjoy our episode and lastly don't forget to sign up for our mailing list so you know right away when an episode goes up at www.thepreventedmedicinepodcast.com and with that let's get back into this episode I think one of the biggest problems with that kind of misinformation comes when someone who's saying kale is bad has an MD or DO or some mm-hmm. other credential behind their name because all of a sudden, maybe, maybe this isn't common sense. Maybe I should be questioning, is kale actually healthy for me? And I like that. Actually, I've never heard of slowing it down like that, but it makes a lot of sense because it gives you time to think and kind of vet it against common sense. And I agree with you that a lot of this comes down to like, we know at like a base level, common sense wise, what is good for us and what is not. But then we have all these competing things with so many messages on social media that are like uh slamming us so quick that we don't have time to think. So I really like the approach of kind of slowing that down. Yeah. Um, one of the other questions I had for you was kind of along the lines of um when it comes to losing so much weight, let's say you lose like that four pounds in a month, you're on track to lose like 50 pounds. Let's say you're losing way too fast and you lose 50 pounds in like three or four months. We know based on the literature that a large proportion of the people, if not all, will probably regain that weight. And all of a sudden, we get into like this binge eating cycle, yo-yo dieting cycle, and I'm sure you've encountered that as a coach. How do you help someone break out of that once they fall into that kind of trap? Man, that's a wonderful question, and you are 100% correct. There I'll
1: preface by saying there is a very small percentage of the population that benefits from losing weight very quickly at the beginning which is the the morbidly obese population, people who have an unbelievable amount of weight to lose, who their their life could be at risk if they don't lose it. And oftentimes these are people who they do not believe for the life of them that they can actually lose weight. They, they don't believe it's possible. And losing weight very quickly for them often has a, an effect of where like, wow, I can actually do this. The difficult part and sort of similar to what you were just mentioning is get moving from the mindset of they just lost 10 pounds in that first week to eventually getting new hey if you lose a pound in a week that's actually really good it's a very difficult transition process and for the people who who are who don't need to lose weight very quickly but are losing weight very quickly it's an equally difficult transition process because you could you could they could have all the knowledge you could say it the right things you could show them all the research studies but when it's themselves they're dealing with it's very difficult to overcome that that like massive uh i would imagine a massive dopamine spike when when the scale says they're down another like 10 pounds Mm. that week they're just going to keep doing it like well if it's working now and unfortunately one of the only ways to really have them learn this is to go through it and this is why we see it a lot where very few people ever lose weight and keep it off on their first try right and and this is something where i've been i've become a huge proponent of saying you only fail if you quit Right, if you just give up and we see a lot of people who, who finally have that successful weight loss story are people who've tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed, tried oh, and it worked. And so if I'm working with someone and it's their first time losing weight uh, and, and it's their, their, their losing weight very, very quickly, I am not going to say you're doing this wrong. You're going too fast because it, all they're going to hear is that I'm against them. So I will do my best essentially to prepare them for what's to come. Hmm. And I, I'm basically, I'm going to say, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're doing amazing because now for the first time in their life, they're focusing on eating well, they're exercising. And I'm going to go in there and be like, you're doing it wrong. You're doing too much. Like, fuck me. That's not the right way to approach <laughs> this. You know, so, so I want to support them, but I want to prepare them for what's going to happen. I'm say, listen, keep doing what you're doing, but I want you to know that you don't have to continue eating this little. You do not have to do that because you're going to start getting very, very hungry and eventually maintaining this weight loss is going to get very difficult. So when that point comes, I want you to know I'm here for you And we can increase your calories, and I promise you it's not going to ruin your progress. I know it's very weird for you to hear that we can actually increase your calories when all you want to do is just decrease them so you can keep losing weight, but eventually that's going to do more harm than good. And so I just keep letting them know I'm there to support them, I'm there to encourage them, and I try to keep preparing them for what's to come. So, for example, I just had a client, he lost about about 150 pounds over the course of a little over a year. And, That's insane. and there were some times, so for example, over his birthday, he, by the time his birthday came, he, uh, he, he, was dangerously overweight. He was, it was very, very dangerous. And he had tried, he'd done like the, the fat sick and nearly dead juice cleanses before he'd lost a lot of weight, gained it back. And one of the things I did do with him is on his birthday, he, he, he was like i'm not going to eat anything bad da, 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 da. i was like I, I was like what's your favorite food And he was like pizza i was like i want you to go get pizza I was like i want and i want you to send me a picture of the pizza and i want you to enjoy the pizza and he was so nervous about it and i was like here's what's going to happen you're going to eat the pizza and on the next day on the scale you're going to weigh in and it's going to go up and it's going to freak you out but i want you to know it's not fat it's normal you ate more carbs than usual you have a little bit more stomach content than usual higher salt it's going to be holding on to water keep going enjoy the pizza enjoy your birthday and get back on track the next day he did that exactly that happened and he said thank god you told me that because if i saw the scale go up after that if i saw the scale go up five pounds before i would have just quit but because he had a realistic expectation for what was going to happen he could get right back on track and within two days his weight came right back to where it was before so i do my best to prepare them and just let them know and, and encourage them but also i think one of the things coaches and we, not just coaches in relationships we see this all the time, people get mad at their spouse for 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 doing certain things and they're like, well why don't they just do this? why don't you, they just do this? And one of the biggest issues is all they do is they is they get mad when they do something wrong, but they never positively reinforce when they do something right. And if you really want to change someone's behavior, stop just nitpicking and nagging about the things you don't like and go over the top on the things you do like. Because when they, when you do that, you're really reinforcing that behavior. I mean, that's psychology 101, that's behavior 101. That's like if you want a pet to do so, if you're training your dog, when they do the right thing, you go over the top, you give them a treat, you show them whatever. It's like you don't just hammer on about the bad. So with a client who who needs to lose a lot of weight, but they're they're losing weight a little bit too quickly. I'm gonna, hey, you're eating high quality foods, you're working out, I love it, keep crushing it. Here's what's going to happen, and I want you to be aware of it when it does. And that's
0: basically it. And that is spoken from absolute, a position of experience you've definitely seen there and been there. And this is why I want to have you on the podcast because a lot of people that kind of go through this that are either going to try to become coaches or that are physicians um, are not necessarily there to help people with this and might not know this. I know you said it's basic, psychology 101, but unfortunately it's not. And a lot of people are like, you're going to, this is not going to be well. You're doing a terrible job. You should be losing weight slower, all of this kind of stuff. So I love that you brought that up. And especially with that real world example, it just goes to show how this actually works and how to deal with actual humans instead of just what you see scrolling on social media that's not connected to a human being.
1: Yeah, even even as amazing as research is, like any scientist will tell you research has flaws, you know, and and scientists aren't perfect either. And I think one of the biggest issues is when we have clinicians who they only develop things based off of research and not based off of real-world experience. It's one thing to do something in a lab. It's another thing to do something out in the real world. And so I think we can use both to get the best results.
0: Definitely. I was about to ask another question, kind of different strategies for weight loss, but I think you just covered that. Um, so apologies to our listeners who will see the outline. Um, <laughs> but you already answered that. It's kind of just the iterative process. If someone doesn't work with one, then you kind of just uh, let them know what's going to happen. What you can expect next. Try something else. Yeah. It's the process of kind of being there for that client and not just being like, "Oh, you failed. See you next client."
1: Yeah. I, I listen. I very much believe that the job of a coach, the primary job of a coach, is to just make sure that your client doesn't quit. That's your job. Like, if you can just make sure that they don't quit, eventually they're gonna they're gonna win. They're gonna succeed. Eventually, there's no doubt about it. It's just most people. They And you can't help everyone, no matter what, and doctors know this better than anybody. You could give someone, hey, <laughs> I have this problem, right? Cool. Oh, take yeah. this medication. And all they literally have to do is take the fucking pill, and they don't <laughs> even take their medication. It's like, what is going on? So it, oh, yeah, I, you can't help everybody, but you can do your best to try to help them not quit.
0: Definitely. Um, shifting just a little bit towards your social media content, I think you do a phenomenal job of kind of balancing that general advice for these general population kind of clients, but also looking at that research, incorporating into there and getting that nuance um, within there, how do you find that balance and kind of make that look quote unquote sexy? Because those aren't the things that really sell online.
1: Yeah. So I started making content in 2011 and I was just making Facebook posts and I had a website and I was writing articles. And if you go back and read my old content from 2011, 2012, 2013, you'll see the citations from PubMed, you'll see all like the the articles, you'll see much, much fancier language, so some higher level language. Um, and for whatever it's worth, I realized over the years that I was doing that to feed my own ego. And I think that's what a lot of people do on social media, especially you know people of higher education. They try to speak in a way that is impressive Rather than helpful, they're like, oh, look at this study and look at this study. And, you know, the authors of this study found this. And and, 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 and it's like if people that were actually going to get the help cared about that, they would have become a fucking doctor. Like they don't. (laughs) They don't understand it. They don't care about it. And the more you're just trying to get pats on your back, you're trying to get people to say, you're so smart. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I realized that's exactly what I was doing in about 2014. And that's when I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I am no longer, I'm not going to do citations anymore. I'm not going to share the actual studies. If someone DMs me, sure, I'll forward them the study if they'd like. Uh, if I can't, if I don't have the full article, I'll DM, I'll message the author and hopefully they can send me the full article. But the vast majority of what I do is I'm like, listen, I'm going to speak to the people the way that I would speak to a friend of mine, right? And and that's really what it boiled down to, or the, a client of mine in person. I'm not in person being like, well, you know, if you look at PubMed ID, four or five years, <laughs> I'm not doing that. So I'm like... How would I tell a client who is really struggling what to do? And I'd be like, hey, listen, stop eating like a fucking asshole. Here's what we're going to do. Make sure you're going to eat protein every meal. Make sure you want to get your water in, all this stuff, whatever it is. And I just say it like I say it. And a lot of people don't like it because I swear a lot and I'm, I'm pretty blunt and abrasive, but I, I, I am very empathetic and caring. I think people can hear that. Some people don't like it because I swear a lot and, and they think I come across too harsh or maybe I'll throw on a wig or something and try and make people laugh, which I do all the time. Like when you and I get off this podcast, I'm going to make some content with a wig on and and review <laughs> some like uh so the shake weight and all this other stuff. But I realized I, when I'm just hanging out with my buddies, I like to be the jokester. I like to have fun. And all I have to do is take the knowledge that I've already gained and then put that into content that is just me just be me. I grew up in Boston. I swear a lot. I am who I am. And I just want to put that out on social media. And the more I've done that, the more people have actually enjoyed it and learned from it.
0: I absolutely love it. I think there's a lot of value to that. And I think that is what helps connect people because then it's that human to human connection versus, oh, here's another study, which I think a lot of physicians and um, educators on Instagram are definitely uh, doing, which is not helping that much. But I think the other thing that um, it's kind of important to note here is that I think this takes a lot of personal responsibility Mm. of actually knowing the evidence and knowing what you're talking about without just saying it. Because it, there's gonna be a significant amount of harm done as well if you don't actually know what you're talking about and you have a significantly large following. Um, there's a recent tweet. I'm not gonna mention any names, but there's a recent tweet that was like, uh, "Your cardio gains will be negated if oh, you sit for too man. long." All this kinds of stuff, and it's like you... the word erased. Your everything will be exactly. erased. I was so exactly. mad.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And the thing is that. Um, well, number one, that goes against the uh, the say it out loud type thing. If you say it slowly, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But secondly, if you have a million followers and you're saying something like that, that could actually be super harmful. Oh, yeah. Because even though you have so many citations, um, suddenly someone's thinking, oh, all this time that I put into the gym in my busy schedule is a waste of time just because I go to work and sit down every day at my cubicle. What are they going to do? They're just not going to exercise now. Yeah. So not I think it just take a lot of personal cit- responsibility. His first citation
1: showed the exact opposite of
0: what he said. I know. I put a post on that today too.
1: What the hell? It's was like the first I take, it's like, Dude, did you read the study, bro? Like what is going on? Yeah, yeah. it's insane. And and it's like you take two people who are sedentary and, and one of them works out and one of them doesn't. Obviously, the one who works out is going to have better health outcomes. Like what are you, it was, I was so mad It doesn't make
0: that. sense. Exactly. Yeah. But the thing is that people take that as gospel and the personal, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of personal responsibility. I, I'm going to get heated about that, so I'm going to skip that. Yeah, We've we've mentioned physicians quite a bit in this, and I'm a physician, and I think that physicians do a terrible job sometimes of communicating to patients, probably more than half the time. We do a terrible job, blame the system, blame whatever it is you want, but our responsibility is what I believe primarily to be educators. In your eyes, as a non-physician, um, I love asking this question to people who aren't within the world of medicine. What is the role of physicians when it comes to health and fitness? Oh, that's a great question. Um, man, that's a really, really good question.
1: You know, so I've never really had, I'm in a very unique position, right? I have a lot of the knowledge. Um, this is what I went to school for. Uh, I can speak at a higher level and understand higher level discussions around this stuff. So whenever I go to the physician, I'm interested in my blood work, And I'm interested in, in that stuff, but like, I'm not going to my physician for nutrition exercise advice. So that's, I'm good on that. But most people I think are expecting their physician to know, and physicians are at a disadvantage because they're not really being trained on that. That's not in your schooling. And I think quite frankly, the best thing you can do as a physician is, especially if you're not trained in that and you haven't studied it very much outside of just a couple of classes is. You should be up front and say i think you should seek help from a professional if you go to a physician with a, a back problem they'll refer you to someone who specializes in that if you if someone comes to you as a physician with a weight problem refer them to a specialist whether it's a nutritionist whether it's a personal trainer like you should have someone that you can refer them to maybe even like hey here's a list of great social media accounts to follow that have really wonderful educational content on nutrition and exercise. Uh, I, I've worked with, you know, listen, I, have, I have many, many, many followers from all over the world. And I've gotten so many messages from people telling me they go to the, the doctor, and the doctor just says some cockamamie shit about <laughs> losing weight and, and, and nutrition that just I know the doctor may not even believe it or the doctor knows better than to just say something so offhanded about it, I think the best thing you can do is point them in the direction of where they can find more knowledge. Now, I think one of the biggest struggles physicians have is they barely have enough time with these patients. So if you're trying to personally educate them in a time squeezed window, that's stupid. Send them to someone who does have time. If you know your your clients are on social media, Give them social media accounts. If you know you're like, ask them, hey, do you spend time on Instagram? Do you spend time on TikTok? Do you spend time like listening to podcasts? And have some great, great uh, referral places for people to go so that you know where you can send them. I think that's probably one of the best things you can do.
0: I think one of the big problems with physicians is that sometimes we do get caught up in the science quite a bit. And then we find ourselves referring to people who are also caught up in the science and mm-hmm. who have not talked with humans. Mm. And this is where you get referrals to people who are kind of on the fringe edge of research, which are like, you need to completely optimize your vitamin D levels. If yeah. you do not sit and stand in every like one-to-one intervals or something, then you're <laughs> yeah. going to be in trouble. I think this is one of the places that physicians get caught and in trouble because I've speak spoken with a lot of colleagues, obviously, um, that at some point I've given health and fitness advice and somehow it just comes up and they're like, oh yeah, this is what I tell them for health and fitness. And inside my head I'm screaming, <laughs> but I don't have the time to kind of be like, this is not why that's correct. And I've been around this for quite a while and uh, it just becomes tiring to try to correct physicians. So I think having a good pattern of referral is the most important thing, like you were saying, social media accounts. But even that can be a struggle.
1: Yeah. I think you're right, man. I think you're right. And you have a really unique insight into this because you're a part of the world. I, I couldn't imagine some of the conversations you've been a part of where you're just in your head you're like, fuck, what the hell are you saying?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it's it's something. Um whether it's medicine, whether it's health and fitness, whatever it is, there's always people who are just saying some loony stuff out there. And you just got to kind of deal with it. Yeah. All right. Last question. Um, or this is a classic question. If you are at Starbucks, and I'm sure this has happened to you before because you actually are pretty well known. If you're at Starbucks and someone approaches you and asks you, how do I get healthy? What do you tell them in the two minutes that you are waiting for your coffee? If you talk to people like that. Uh,
1: yeah. So, I mean, I've had people recognize me before at Starbucks and, and usually they're just like, hey, what's going on? And, and they don't ask me a specific question like that. But <laughs> if someone is like, how do I get healthy? Man, you know, if if I had to give really quick advice, I would say one of the best things that you could do is just walk i i really i think that's my go to recommendation as of late um there was a, a i'm sure you saw the meta analysis that came out recently about a, steps up to sixteen thousand a day. did you see that
0: I have not actually I've been uh stuck in the i c u so I haven't had much time to read anything oh man i'll I'll try and
1: forward actually I think I have it up here. I have it. Yeah, I have it up right here. Uh, Daily step count and all cause mortality a dose response meta analysis of prospective cohort studies. Um, It's um, I'll I'll send you the the, I'll give it to you when we get off. But it's an amazing, amazing study. And it showed the overall massive health implications, all cause mortality, just from walking more. And when I think about the easiest, most accessible form of exercise for people to get, it's like nothing beats walking, nothing. And so many people act actively believe that walking is a waste of time because they think it's not hard enough. It's not difficult enough. They don't understand what could be happening. And I remember one of the courses I took in college, we were looking at like the cellular response of just walking for 20 minutes. And I was from that point, I was like, if people could see on a cellular level, what happens just from walking, nobody would ever question how important this is for your health. And so for me, it's just, it's just walk. Like I, you don't need a pedometer. We've got these watches now or your phone that track your steps. I think one of the best things you could do is get a certain step goal and try your best to hit it
0: as often as possible. And to add to that, it will not be negated if you're sitting. <laughs> exactly.
1: So, so get up there and walk. If you work a sedentary job, it's not <laughs> negated. It's it, your, your life is massively improved from it.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, I hope that whoever's listening to this found some value from this. I definitely got a lot from it. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us spread the message of prevention, first off, rate and review this podcast. Second off, you can find our content on our social media platforms at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one.